It's Talking Twins and more with Nix and Naomi. Thanks to twinfo.com.au and doublebub.com.au. It's Talking Twins and More, a multiple birth podcast with myself, Nix, and joining me once again, my wonderful co-host, Naomi Dolan from twinfo.com.au. Hello. How are you going this week? Hello, Nikki. Oh, I'm a little bit stressed. Why are you stressed? That's okay. Oh, well, you and I are in the same situation again. Um, we're both building houses and, oh my gosh, I this is going to sound so stupid. I knew it would be a, a stressful process. <laughs> but, I don't know, it's a bit like having twins. I, I knew it would be hard. I just didn't realise it would be this hard. Oh, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I just got a really long email about all this stuff that I still haven't supplied to council to get my DA through. And I'm like, ah, oh, I thought we were getting closer. Now I feel I'm back at square one. It's a really stressful process. I just figured that, um, I don't know, it would just happen. But, yeah, it doesn't just happen. I tell you what, anyway, it's up there in terms right. of my life at the moment, Naomi. The house stress is up there with the boys in the consistency of keeping me awake at night. Oh no! Between <laughs> the between the boys and the house, you're not going to get any sleep. Oh no, no! But uh, it's all about sleep. That's what we want to talk about this week. It is indeed. We are going to be talking about safe sleep. We are indeed, and our guest Jane is joining us this week to talk a little bit about safe sleep. Jane, hello, how are you going? Oh, I'm really well, both. How are you? We are fantastic, except for Lack our building stresses, but that's okay. <laughs> I know, that was a silly question, wasn't it? And I'm hearing woes about sleeping at night time and, and the dramas of that, but, you know, all, all of this stuff, you know, this too shall pass, and we know that, and, you know, we just need to hang on to that. So, Jane, tell us You know what, Nikki? Yeah. By the time you get your new house, the boys will be sleeping right. Oh, you're (laughs) talking to a mother of a highly sensory child here. So, if I can get one to sleep, then that's a wish. But uh, the other one is is a work in progress, as we know. (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) Jane, tell us a little bit about your background and how you've come to join us here on the podcast this week. Oh, well, I'm just, I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you so much. So I am the Chief Midwife at Red Nose Australia, who, as you know, is the um, National Authority on Safe Sleep. And I, I have this, you know, beautiful, privileged position to be able to come um, and, and you know, um, educate families and healthcare professionals and the wider community about the importance of safe sleeping and how to look after our little babies, um, you know, in that time, that particularly vulnerable time in that zero to 12 month age range where sudden unexplained death and infancy is at, is at its highest um, risk point. Um, and here I am and, you know, we're two, three weeks out from Red Nose Day, um, which is also really exciting. So it's very, very busy um, at HQ for us. Mm. I can only imagine. So thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us um, because for our families in particular, there's a few additional things that need to be considered um, just with twins and triplets because um, obviously there's more than one baby. So Ab- Absolutely. Yeah. It is really tricky and it's really, as you would know, really expensive and I or can be and, you know, my heart goes out to you. My best friend in the whole wide world had twins and I had singletons and I have absolutely really no idea that, the, you know, the, the hardship sometimes that she faced trying to kind of negotiate um sleeping babies that are two individual human beings, where to sleep them, how to sleep them, how to feed them. I mean, just hats off to you guys um, out there who have multiples and, and twins and I just, 
it's, it's a very busy time. But certainly um, safe sleeping can't be ignored, even though we're having those really hard nights where you just think, oh, my God, I just cannot do this. I just need them to be in the car. I need them to be in the pram. We need to just stop for a minute and remember our safe sleep principles. Um, to make sure that we're protecting our babies against um, sudden unexplained death and kids. That's one thing that for us was really important. And we, oh my gosh, as you just said, it was so hard sometimes. But my one hard, fast rule for me, and I know that uh, like us multiple birth parents are known to cut corners. Like, like I'm just putting it out there. I know I've cut many that I shouldn't have. And thankfully everything has worked out. But Sleeping for me was one thing that that was non-negotiable. Um, I was just too scared to not follow the safe sleeping guidelines. Mm. But sometimes it's not all. It's you know cutting corners and doing all those things that we need to do as parents to survive. You know that that just happens, and that's you know that's that's okay too. I, I know you know sometimes we, you know, I reflect back on you know how I slept with my children sometimes, and I think, oh my goodness, you know how. How did I do this? Or you know, I didn't. You know, perhaps I, I didn't know better. But now, now I do know better. And now, you know, I've been able to pour over all of this beautiful research that's you know been conducted over the last forty years. And you know, I can see now, you know, how important um, safe sleeping really is. And once you understand the why behind the safe sleep recommendations, it does make it a lot easier to apply them, particularly in those really you know hard nights where you're really struggling. So, what, when um, Nikki, what about you? When you first got your babies home, did you go cots or bassinets? I I had bassinets to start with, um, and then I had the boys' cots set up, and I had two separate bassinets. Um, and I admit there were times when I thought about putting them together. Um, more so if they were sort of awake but just settling. But, yeah, they had to, we had two separate bassinets that I could move around the house because the boys were incredibly – we suffered a lot from colic and reflux and that sort of stuff for a long time. So sleeping was a huge issue for us. But initially bassinets, and I think we upgraded to cots around six months or maybe four months. So it's sketchy, mm. but, yeah, around that. So, I mean, in your recommendation, Jane, starting from the basics, because um, that is always, you know, you've got this situation, you've just found out you're pregnant, you know, or you've just found out you're having two. Um, looking at the situation of buying two bassinets, two cots, uh, what is the best option and, and what should people be looking for? Because it can be quite an overwhelming experience, even just starting with the first basic options. Absolutely. So there's, there's a couple of things you can do. So if you're having twins, you can absolutely very, very safely co-bed them, but the Red Nose recommendation would be that you would do that in a cot or a porta cot because those are the two um, sleep environments that meet mandatory standards for safety. And the way that you would do that is that you would put them both, so separately, separate ends of the cot with their feet down the bottom, so head to head, if you can imagine that, feet yep. touching um, opposite ends of the cot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then safe bedding pulled up to the level of the chest and firmly tucked in. And you can do that until one twin looks as though they're going to start becoming a bit more mobile, looks mm-hmm. like they might start mm-hmm. to roll soon, and then you would separate them. So that's one way of kind of um, cutting costs initially in the beginning because you can just buy one cot and they can both be in there for, you know, around about three months of age. When you... Um, talk about bassinets. Bassinets are, are a fantastic sleep space as well. You, they don't meet Australian standards for safety. However, if that's the only um, environment that you have for your baby, 
Um, and the only means to be able to keep your baby close to you in your room, because we know that that's our fifth safe sleep recommendation, it reduces foodie by 50%. If you can keep the baby in your room with you, mm. um, then that's great. Following safe sleep principles, keeping feet down the bottom of the cot, uh, sorry, of the bassinet, and then um, firmly tucking in and obviously having a very clear space. Um, but we wouldn't recommend two babies or three babies in the one bassinet because the mm. space is so much smaller. Yeah. And whenever we're thinking about safe sleep recommendations, and I know they can be a little bit hard to remember, there are you know there are six of them. The take-home message with all of them is about airway protection, and 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 making sure that you're supporting your babies to support themselves, keeping their airways nice and safe. And so if we're, if we're cramming a couple of babies into a small bassinet space, we're reducing the space that those babies breathe off all of their carbon dioxide and all of that. It doesn't diffuse very nicely. And so um, what can happen is those babies can breathe all of that um, carbon dioxide back in and then we've got a problem later. So in the, in the interim, yes, you can co-bed them, but in a cot, so a larger space, um, or two separate bassinets, if that's what you have, or two separate cots. Mm. Yeah, some really good tips. Yeah, so we have one cot in our room because we just couldn't fit two. Yep, um, that's okay. So, and so, yeah, we had them um, end to oh, I was going to say stop and trial, but that's not the right way, head to head mm. in one cot in our room. Um, but it was. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it was something that we really debated over. Mm. Yeah, it, it is hard. It is hard to know what to do. And sometimes um, when you're in hospital, you know, very well-meaning midwives can um, be co-bedding twins but doing it in an unsafe way. And so you're often um, confronted with behaviour or you're modelled with behaviours that perhaps aren't the safest thing to do. Mm. But, you know, it is a tricky thing to do. And, and you need to sort of, I guess, be turning to the evidence and looking to you know organisations like Red Nose that do have that um, evidence-based underpinning recommendations so at least you can feel satisfied in the decision that you do make uh, going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, you, now you mention it, thinking back onto how they were when they were like in special care or they, they were always coupled together. So I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Mm. Very interesting. Exactly. Um, yep. And we used to have double cots in hospitals, two double mm. double cots for these little babies. And, you know, we would sleep them side by side and all very well meaning because we were wanting siblings to stay together. And we know that, you know, that's a very, you know, lovely thing to do, but it isn't the safest way to sleep them at all. Um, and, and certainly the majority of practice has changed now where we're not um, doing that in hospital anymore. And yeah. it's very different, isn't it? When they're in hospital, you've got, you know, the, the nurses, Mm. Um, only have, what is it, four babies or something and they're in that room all the time. They're not leaving them or going to sleep or anything like mm. that. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, Jane, you mentioned that there were six safe sleep recommendations. Um, just as we're going on talking about what we can do in the safest possible way, can you just recap um, for Red Nose, what are those six safe sleep recommendations? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So our first recommendation is to always place baby on their back to sleep and that's because we know that their airway protection reflexes, so that, that gag, suck, swallow, vomit and arousal from sleep, all of those beautiful reflexes that are inbuilt to protect their airways work best when they're on their back. So that's always going to be first and foremost 
keeping them um, on their back um, for sleep. Which is, is, I'm just going to interrupt no? you two seconds there because I think that's a really yeah. interesting point because I, I know everybody thinks that, but I often sometimes hear people say, oh, but if you lie on your back, you're going to choke. Are you able to talk people through who may not understand why mm. um, it is actually better to have a baby that might be conducive to vomiting and reflux actually on their back? Because I think some people sometimes yeah. get a bit confused and think that they'll inhale it. I'd love to. and But also just even taking a step back, if you've had twins quite often they've spent time in the nursery, if you've got really premature babies, um, quite often they're nursed prone, so they're on their bellies um, for various different clinical reasons. But that is a very, very separate um, situation, clinical situation where they're being frequently observed by nursing and medical staff and a totally different situation. When we're bringing our babies home, we need to keep them on their back and um, that's because if you if you think about um, a baby's anatomy, when you lie on your back, your airway sits above your food pipe. And so when a baby's going to vomit, which or, or reflux or posit, which it's going to, 90% of babies do it. Um, it's benign. It doesn't worry a lot of babies. Some babies hate it, but other babies don't really care too much. The baby will vomit. But because we know that the airway clearance reflexes work really well on their back, particularly swallowing and waking up from sleep, that baby is going to swallow that back down. It's going to wake up and get really cross, which is going to drive you insane as a mum because you're really tired and you don't want to have to go back in there. But guess what? Your baby woke up and it cleared its airway beautifully. If we put our babies on their bellies, suddenly that anatomy is reversed. So the food pipe, is above the airway. So when that baby does a vomit, first of all, that, that airway clearance reflex of swallowing doesn't work very well, if at all. So we've switched that off because we've put them on their belly and their arousal from sleep reflex doesn't work. So that's two vital airway clearance reflexes that we've just switched off just by putting them on their bellies. Now what can happen is when they vomit, when they're on their front, um, little bits of milk and posits can micro-aspirate into the airway and it can elicit a response. This sounds really fancy. It's called a, a chemoreceptor, a laryngeal chemoreceptor response and it happens to all of us. If we inhale um, a glass of water or a cup of tea really quickly, um, it'll, we'll go, oh my God, it's gone down the wrong hole and we'll cough and flutter and um, we'll have a moment like a pausation of breathing. Our eyes are water. We'll carry on like cork tops and then everyone will know that's where, you know, something's gone down the wrong hole and then we'll recover and move on. That's what an adult will do. But a baby will very, very silently go into respiratory distress. So they will have an apnea, which means they'll stop breathing and they'll have a great big bradycardia, which means that their heart rate will plummet into their boots. And if they're left in that position for too long, it has a, it has a catastrophic outcome. So it's really, really important that we keep them on their backs flat even our reflux babies. Now, if, um, if you've got a really, really unwell baby and you've had medical um, advice that's written to sleep your baby in alternate positions, then obviously, you know, by all means, you need to follow the advice of your trusted um, healthcare professional. But in terms of the red nose safe sleep recommendations and the recommendations recognised internationally, back sleeping on a firm, flat surface is the safest position to pop your baby in. Fantastic. That's really fascinating. No, that is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yes. and, and that just I, really I didn't explained it. I that either. Mm. 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 It's amazing. Babies are amazing. They're amazing. They're built with, 
these beautiful airway protection reflexes that are really strong. And when we when we do our newborn checks um, after we've delivered these beautiful babies, we check we check a lot of these reflexes, and we you know they're really good, they're really strong. And so you're like, right, baby knows what to do. What can I do as mum or dad or a caregiver to support my baby, keep their airway nice and clear? I'm going to follow the Red Nose Safe Sleep recommendations because they go hand in hand with that, mm. with this baby. They go hand in hand with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what are the next recommendations? Or I, thank you for explaining that. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Yeah, that's uh, okay. That's okay. Yeah, so the second recommendation is to always keep heads and faces uncovered and that's for two really important reasons. So again, airway management. We know that um, very little babies, particularly babies that are less than six months of age, are preferential nose breathers, particularly when they sleep. So we don't want to be covering their noses in any way, shape or form because they're going to suffocate under that um, and, and, and their mouths as well. We need to make sure that, that, that their face is nice and open and clear because your airway starts at your nose. Like it's, That's the beginning of it. The second important reason is we know that babies regulate their temperatures through their faces and their heads and hyperthermia, so being too hot, is a significant risk factor uh, to SIDS. And so we need to make sure that we don't interfere with a baby's natural ability to thermoregulate. So that means if they go to bed, you pop them into bed, you remove their beanies or their hats or whatever it is that's on their head so they can just gently lie there and just modulate their temperature as they need to. You and I can go to bed on a winter's evening, pyjamas, socks, whatever, rug up, and then we might wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning boiling hot, we might just kick the doona off, push the partner over. Oh, my God, I'm so hot. Take your socks off. We can regulate our temperatures in lots of different ways as adults, but babies can't. So we, we absolutely have to make sure that we're keeping them safe in the sleep environment and let them do what they need to do in terms of their temperature. That's the second one. Do you want me to continue? Do you want me to keep talking? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. This is all yeah. really interesting. Yeah, really great. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Yep, a third recommendation is about keeping babies smoke-free before birth and after, um, and this this is a really this is a really important one because it it um, smoking affects our babies when they're in utero, but it also affects them when they're born. And what we know through the research now is that nicotine can cross the, the placenta and enter the fetal bloodstream as early as five six weeks gestation. And it can it'll adhere to the to the really um, primitive fetal brain. And what is fascinating is it is going straight to one of those airway protection reflexes. And the one that it that it directly affects is that baby's ability to wake up from sleep, which is amazing that we know that. So we absolutely have to keep our little baby smoke free when they're on the inside. Aside from that, which is a really big deal. It increases the risk of prematurity. So our babies being born a little bit early, didn't get a chance to finish cooking on the inside, didn't didn't really get a chance to grow those fantastic lungs like we wanted to, didn't get a chance to have this amazing brain that we really could have done with. Like we have to kind of work on that on the outside and that just makes everything just a little bit harder for babies. It, it, it can also affect babies' rousability once they're born. So... When, um, if we expose our children to cigarette smoke, passive smoking, um, second and third hand, we're still 
um, affecting their arousability from sleep mechanism. So again, problematic. But we're also affecting their airway in that we're, we're just opening them up to more chronic respiratory problems down the track. You know, we're, we're, you know, our jobs as parents and caregivers is to, is to support our baby's airway as much as we can. So why, why smoke around them? Why expose them to inflammation? Let's keep those lungs as healthy and open as we can. That's what we need to be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And so then I think we've got those around our belt. What else do we need to do? And we talked about this at the beginning. We need to provide a safe sleep um, environment night and day. And what does that look like? And that would be a cot or a porticot. So porticots are completely fine. I know they're, they're less expensive than an all singing, all dancing cot. But um, cots and porticots sold in Australia must meet Australian standards for safety. So um, they're the ones that you would you would go for. Um, the choice of mattress is also really important. It needs to be firm and flat and well-fitted um, to the space. Um, well, we don't want anything like a memory foam or anything that's going to conform around the shape of the baby because babies can overheat really quickly in those positions. They're not, they're not a particularly safe option for a baby. And we need to make sure that these aren't tilted. We need these surfaces to be flat. And then inside that cot, we don't want anything else except some safe bedding perhaps, a sheet um, and a lightweight blanket. And that's it. No pillows, lambs, wools, toys, bumpers or anything like that that could potentially add risk to a baby. Because if you think about every time you add something to the cot space, you're adding risk to that baby's airway. So let's just get it all out. Just get rid of all the risk. Get it's a really good way to remember it. Everything that you add in mm. is potentially a risk. Absolutely. And it is a risk. Absolutely. Pillows, disastrous. Lamb's walls make the surface too soft. No good. I we still can have get babies rolling of, into... I still get nervous of my yeah? kids having pillows and toys in their bed and they're five and a half and it still makes me nervous. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, I still get that Can little I bit of anxiety yeah. and go, okay, where's everything positioned? Is it going to fall on top of you accidentally when you're in a deep sleep and, and suffocate you? Um, so I think, you know, yeah, you, you can have that instinct of being that little bit worried. But you're right. E- everything clutters a bed. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it is, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. And people, you know, as our babies get older, I mean, they do start to sort of become a bit more aware of their environment. Mm. And, you know, separation anxiety starts to kind of kick off at about eight months, seven or eight months. And they think, oh, my God, mum can actually leave. I'm no longer attached to her. Oh, my God. And that's when, you know, that you can start to, you know, introduce transitional objects like a, a small teddy, a small soft something that a baby can um, attach to. But that's much, much further down the track when babies can roll in both directions and they they have a need for it. But very early on, you know, our tiny little babies. I mean, they think they're still attached to you by their umbilical cord until they're about 10 months of age. Like, it, they don't need a toy. They don't need a pillow. They don't need these things. So don't, don't put them in there. Just, 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 just don't put them in there. Yeah. Um, what, what are we doing, you know, once we have our safe sleep environment? We want to bring that into our room because we know that sleeping in the same room as our babies reduces the risk of foodie by as much as 50% and that's because the majority of the cases that we um, that we have read about and that have been reported of little babies that have died have been found in 
their own safe sleep space, yes, but in a separate room from their parents. And so we, for that reason, we want our kids in the room with us if we possibly can for as long as we can. Six to 12 months is ideal, but, you know, these babies do get very noisy and it can get challenging, that's for sure. Um, but it means that we can help our babies and intervene and move them into a position of safety should they become compromised in their little sleep environment, whether it be a bassinet or a cot or whatever it is that you've got going on in the room. Mm. you maintain a lighter state of sleep as does your baby so you're more in tune with each other and it benefits your breastfeeding if that's what you're doing beautifully so that's all good which happens to be our six safe sleep recommendation as well to breastfeed the baby wow some very amazing recommendations when you say they are indeed when you say that safe space how does that translate to an I hope I'm not going to throw myself under the bus here as a bad mother, but I, I'm going to say, no. you know, th- those day sleeps, which are equally as important, mm. um, things like having your baby fall asleep in the pram, babies fall asleep in the pram, um, you know, you yeah. want to take them out for a walk or, you know, as you said, capsules in cars when they fall asleep and, and mm. I was notorious for trying to get my kids to fall asleep in the car because they had such bad colic. Uh, where do we sit with those sorts of things? Mm. You, you are absolutely not a bad mother, for the record. You are not at all. In fact, your baby, your babies are doing everything that they were, were doing everything that they were meant to do. They were meant to sleep. Babies spend a really long time sleeping, eighteen hours in a twenty-four hour period, and quite often they don't choose where they sleep. They just go to sleep. And sometimes that is going to be in the pram, and that is going to be in the car capsule, and that's absolutely fine. But what we need to do as um, parents and caregivers is remember that, okay, baby's gone to sleep in the pram, we need to supervise because this isn't um, a sleep environment that's been, that, that is that is uh, approved for unsupervised sleep, which is, which is you know, when, you, when you're leaving the room and you're not being there. We need to remember that when our babies um, do fall asleep in these devices, which they will, normal course they're going to, that we remember why we have these devices in the first place and we need to use them for the purpose for which they were intended. So when you've got your baby in the car capsule, we we have to have a car capsule, absolutely. It needs to protect our baby from high-impact car accidents, of course. But when you get from A to B, you need to get your baby out. Get that baby, give that baby the chance to to expand its chest and to lay it again because if you're you're in a C-shaped position for too long with your chin on your chest, you are you are compromising your airway. If you can imagine, um, babies are born with very um, large, heady heads in relation to the rest of their bodies, um, and and um, they have a, a small little neck, not not particularly strong muscles in there either, um, shoulders and back, and they've got um, a, a tiny little airway, no bigger than a drinking straw, and a really big tongue in their mouth, and all of that anatomy. Is, is a bit heavy, it's a bit hard to work with, you know, it's a bit clunky. And what can happen is if we pop our babies on a tilt or we leave them in a capsule for too long, that big heavy head slumps forward. And you'll see it, you know, as your kids get bigger and they fall asleep in the car and they, their heads slump forward. Chin on the chest, the, the tongue gets pushed back um, and can um, obstruct the airway on the inside, but they, they are also pinching off their airway higher up kind of in their neck. If you can imagine a bendy straw, um, on a prima bending over that's what's happening so we just need to remember you know okay we're using a car capsule we've got to get to A to B 
if it's a long haul drive, we're going to need to stop regularly, get baby ass stretched, just like we do and should, even though a lot of us don't because we just want to get from A to B. Let our babies have a chance to ventilate and move and then get back in. So if you are going on a long, long car trip, um, because it, you know, it happens, um, how often should we be stopping to allow our babies to, to have a, a good stretch? I mean, I guess with a baby, you have to stop and change nappies so often anyway that, um, you know, that, that will definitely come into play. But mm. is there a sort of time frame? Such a good question. And it's certainly a question that, you know, those of us, you know, um, in, you know, in the infant safety world are constantly asking, you know, kids safe. We ask, um, uh, Vic Rose, we're always kind of banging on the door. Come on, can you please give us a recommendation? But, at this stage, and certainly in conversations that I've had, particularly with um, paediatric physicians in Queensland, that the consensus would be every hour. So it used to be every two hours um, would be, you know, a suitable time to, to stop. But, you know, if you've got a very little baby, particularly in a car capsule, you know, in that C-shaped position, all that padding around its head, you know, interfering yeah. with thermoregulation where they can get quite hot back there, Every hour would be would be optimal to get those babies out, even if it was for five minutes, ten minutes, whatever. Change the nappy, have a bit of a cuddle. If they wake up and and scream, I know that's really hard. That is really hard to listen to. But guess what? Your baby woke up and did everything it was meant to do. It's doing everything perfectly. Yes, it's carrying on like a pork chop. Absolutely, it is. But guess what? It's doing it perfectly. Mm. Your baby mm. stopping every hour. That so um, actually works with what I always give people um, advice when they're sort of saying oh I've got to do a long trip what should I do my thing is you always stop before you need to so mm. stopping that well because then you're less likely to have a, a meltdown you know you stop at a park or you stop at wherever you're going to stop and get them out and let them have a stretch so there we go I will add that to my um, little arsenal of tips that mm. um, that's another reason <laughs> yeah beautiful <laughs> And then what about things like the rockers and the swings and the bounces and things like that? Now, I definitely mind slept in those during the day, mm. um, not on purpose or any, like, you know, I didn't deliberately say, okay, today you're going to sleep here for, mm. you know, like, but as you said, they fell asleep and I was yes, like, oh, hallelujah, they're asleep. I'm not moving them now. Mm. Um, what's the what's the sort of guidelines between those? Because when, particularly when you are a parent of multiples, um, you've only got one set of arms and when of you've course. got numerous babies, um, ob- often the rocker or the swing becomes your second pair of arms. Pair of arms, exactly. I hear you. I, I, I really do. The, the, the thing with inclined sleepers, again, if you're actively supervising them and I mean you're with them, it, you can make that situation safer. But that really the safest way to sleep a baby is always going to be flat on their back in a, in a safe sleep space, a cot or a porta cot or a bassinet or something like that. And it's, and, and the reason is it, it goes back to what, um, I spoke about before about that, um, that, that anatomy of the baby. So that big heady head, um, and that ability for that, that head to slump forward and that baby's slouch. And the, the, the potential risk of, okay, I popped my baby on an inclined bouncer or a, rocker or whatever and the other one's gone to sleep thank god okay great i'm just going to dash outside and i'm going to put washing on the line or, or something like that 
and you come back and that big heavy head on one of those babies has slumped forward, the chin's hit the chest, the tongue's gone back into the head, so we've occluded the airway, so that's problematic. We then have potentially activated little abdominal muscles and um, which will elicit a premature roll to the side or forward and that baby potentially could have rolled over and landed flat on their face. Meanwhile, you're outside now 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you're picking out the washing and your baby's fallen out of that rocker, flat on their face, can't breathe. So it is a very dangerous situation to have a baby um, unsupervised. But I do hear you as mums of multiples. I really, I, I really, really do. Um, and certainly if your baby's gone to sleep in them um, and you're there and you're supervising, then that's a, that's a safer way of doing it. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's, yeah, I mean, that's the reality, isn't it? You of course. need to make sure that you're, you're there. Mm. I mean, you need to wash your weight. Exactly. If you're in a situation like, say, for example, you might be doing, um, you know, uh, one after the other feeding or, you know, they're awake and then they fall asleep, is the best course of action then to try and move them from that swing into the safe sleeping place? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So, often, Absolutely. Like, I remember with my boys, they'd be doing like bathing one, put one in the swing and then by the time, you know, they're just next to you but you turn around and one minute they're awake sort of looking at the things and the next minute they're out cold. So, And then I'd move them to their cot. Obviously, that was night time but I, I guess doing that kind of thing and just keeping that eye on from when they go from settling to actually asleep and then moving them to that safe sleeping place. Mm, yeah, if you can always move them to, the safe, to a safe sleep space, you, you, you're absolutely just setting them up for success. You, you just you know in yourself that beautiful airway is not compromised. My baby is safe. It's it's all about airway safety. Wow. Yep. Jane, it's- so what about those um, breathing devices that mm. you can have? Like, um, I, I mean, I don't know if I should name them, but you know, like the the pads that go under the mattresses or the ones yep. that clip to the nappy or to around yeah. the foot and things yep. like that. There's a few that, like, I know three or four different ones. Yep. Um, yes. What about those? Are they... Yeah, so, so, well, you can, if, if, if that is something that is going to give you peace of mind, mummy, daddy, and that you are going to sleep, you are actually going to be able to take rest knowing that you've got an angel pad on or something like that on your baby, then by all means, absolutely do that. And certainly I know um, lots of mums that have, you know, spent time with their babies um, in the NICU and the special care nursery. When their babies have been monitored, they've found it very, very difficult to transition home. Say goodbye to all of those monitors that and was for those mums. Yep, that was me. Yep, for mm-hmm. those mums. Yeah, absolutely. Of course you're going to go and buy a monitor. Is that, was that, is that what you did? No, I, did you had, go and get a I had one monitor between the two of them because my monitors I found had interference. So say, for example, video didn't work for us because they were in separate bassinets or then separate cots. So we couldn't get mm. a visual on both of them um, unless I mm. did put them into co-sleep in their cot. Um, but mm. I had the breathing pads and they were a, a godsend for my anxiety, whether they work yep. or whether they're right or wrong. Exactly that because I yes, had so much exactly. time in NICU and special care. I felt really scared to let go of that security that an alarm wasn't going to go off if something happened to them. Of course. And you know what? You did the best thing that you could do. You went out and you did that. You looked after yourself because I can tell you what, if you cannot get sleep, even if it's in little tiny 20-minute chunks and you're putting that in a sleep bag, you're no good 21. So you absolutely did the right thing doing that and and, um, managing your 
stress and anxiety around that. From a red nose perspective, we don't have scientific evidence that tells us that, yes, um, monitors prevent SIDS. So we can't be and like you know, having them woven into our safe sleep recommendations. And we know that a monitor isn't going to replace mummy or daddy or granny or whoever it is that's supervising the baby and checking on the baby lots of times. But certainly if it is something, if, if that is what you need to take rest, you know, in, you know and, and get through this really challenging time of, you know, transitioning into motherhood and, and really kind of working out that whole maternal role with two kids or three or however many um, babies you have, then, you know, a monitor is, is something that is, is absolutely fine. It's just, you know, making sure that, um, that you realize that sometimes they can, they can fire off and they can go off for no reason. So you can have kind of false alarms, mm. um, and just not to get too complacent. So if it kind of goes off for the 10th time, you go, oh, it's okay. I'm not going to check because it always goes off. That'll be the time that there might be a problem. Mm. So just to be aware of that. Yeah, would really probably be the only, yeah. I know that you, we've got to go very quickly, but um, we, with prematurity, just while we're staying on this whole NICU situation, mm. often twins triplets uh, can be born premature. Is there any evidence to suggest that there's a high risk of SIDS as a result of that? Or, uh, yeah, what is the evidence in there terms is, of premature? And particularly yeah, when we're bringing our babies home at, you know, maybe 36, 37, even less from NICU and special care. Mm. There is a there is a, a slight increased risk, absolutely, but it's not huge, um, which is reassuring. It, it, it the risk does increase with um, decreasing um, gestational age. So you know, if your baby, if you've got a micro pram or you've got a, a you know really premature baby that you know really hasn't done its time on the inside to cook long enough to really transition easily um, to the earth side with us, then you know. It, it does. Um, it, it can be a little bit problematic because you know it's it's their lung development, it's their brain development, brain stem development, and all of those kind of autonomic, um, you know, homeostatic controls that um, um, need to develop. Just kind of, um, it, it, it can take a lot longer for these babies to to catch up. And we know that for some babies, while they're uh, rapidly um, you know, bedding down all of their kind of their breathing and their heart rate and their temperature control and all of that kind of normal stuff that they do to be like fantastic humans surviving, um, they can destabilize in the sleep environment um, and when they're sleeping. And so we and we know that um, premature babies they are at a high risk of that. So they've come out early. They've been born a little bit early, and they could have had a bit more time on the inside to really kind of solidify that that brain stuff that they needed to do. But certainly, it's not something that we need to be, um, you know, really freaking out about. It's just, it's about being aware. Okay, my baby's prem, so we're at a slightly high risk here because, you know, baby's lungs aren't as fab as their, you know, full-term, well-grown counterparts. Um, you know, um, the all of those kind of arousal mechanisms that are in the brain, um, you know, they, they're there. They could have been a bit stronger, but okay, we're born now, so let's just work with what we've got. So it's about thinking, okay, we've got our premature baby, really being vigilant, following the safe sleep recommendation um, to keep the, to keep your baby safe. But yeah, I don't, I don't want um, the last thing I would want is for your listeners to be really 
really, really, really worried um, because, you know, their babies were born from. Yes, it mm. does increase the risk, but, you know, ma- being male increases the risk. Being male increases the risk. How's that? Wow. Yes, yeah, just being just being small for I'm, your gestational age. I'm Not glad I know that kids. now that my boys are five and a half. Otherwise, it would have been even worse. Yes. <laughs> how's that? So how's that? You know, if you, um, you know, just being small for your gestational age, not small and sick, just just being small. Being small. So everything you've said so far relates to twins. Um, I know we've referred to multiples and things like that, but we've specifically been talking about twins. Um, Just finally, what about triplets? Now, I, I totally appreciate that there hasn't been an awful lot of research done on this side yet, but is there anything that you can share with us on that? There isn't a lot of research with regard to triplets, I'm sorry. Um, in terms of safe sleeping triplets um, and having a bit of a dig around um, before we um, spoke this afternoon, um, certainly there are recommendations in other countries to co-bed them um, side by side and then once one of them starts to be a little bit more mobile, you can um, separate them. But the red nose recommendation would be that if you do have triplets, that you do sleep them separately or you can co-bed two and have one on their own but I kind of feel in my heart that that's a bit mean so I'd, if, if I you know what I mean so I feel like you'd almost want to if, you, if you're going to have to just separate them I would just separate them and keep I them was in thinking own. the yeah. exact same thing because I was thinking oh well you could put two in the cot and one at a back yeah. like, oh, how do you choose yeah. how do you choose? do it on a rotation exactly. or p- pull a name out of a hat I know Jane thank you so much for joining us it has been a wealth of knowledge I think we've both learnt so much Uh, needless to say our listeners will well and truly benefit from that just quickly Red Nose Day when exactly is it and how can everybody get involved oh you're so welcome thank you for having me so Red Nose Day is on Friday the 13th of August and you can it's a digital campaign so you can just on and and, um, download a digital nose for yourself or you can you know purchase merchandise through the shop all of those kind of um, normal things or make a donation to us that we can pour into our life-saving research um, to find answers for all our beautiful parents out there. But thank you so much for having me. It's just been just such a pleasure to speak to you both. Thank you so much. All that information is rednose.org.au. Jane, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. It's Talking Twins and More with Nix and Naomi. Thanks to twinfo.com.au and doublebub.com.au.